turn in your Bibles to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And if you're using the Bible that's in the pew, that's uh, page 462. 462. began talking about prayer last week. We touched on the subject of praise, and this morning touched on the subject of confession. And as last week, I have enriched slash save your life through confession, uh, trying to emphasize that this enriches your life, but that doesn't even say enough. It's part of how we constantly enter into God's salvation and enjoy His salvation how we are saved through praise and confession of sin. Psalm 32, as we sang this psalm a while ago, uh, he traces through in the first five verses what happened when he did not confess his sin. It begins with the joy over sins confessed, and then he goes back in verse 3 to recount what happened. And then he traces through how all then, no matter what our problem uh, situation or difficulty should come to our great God. And it's interesting, as he says later, don't be like the horse or mule, which must be curbed with bit and bridle. It's almost as though he's saying, that's how I was when I didn't confess my sin. I was like a horse. I was like a dumb animal and I was wasting away. Uh, and, and don't be that way. Let's be pliable. Let's let's easily give ourselves up to his will and to his mercy. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I think by that he means one that's covering his sin and holding back his sin. He's freely, freely acknowledging his sin. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Notice the contrast is wickedness or trust. Wickedness or trust. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us with the understanding of what confession is and how we might more freely confess our sins and more enjoy, Lord, your grace in the confession of our sins. And 
grow in grace and transform our lives, Lord, as we are honest before you and experience your continuing forgiveness and change by the Holy Spirit. For we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Kids, I'd like to start off with an illustration for you. Imagine that you're about to go on a vacation, a really long, like three-week vacation with your parents. And one of the last things your mom wanted to do before she left, but things just got so hectic, not that this has ever happened at our house, but uh, things got so hectic toward the end that she wasn't able to clean the refrigerator out. And it was really probably a month overdue or two months overdue for cleaning out. It's the last thing she wanted to do. You know, you've driven off thinking, oh, I hope we don't have a wreck, you know, because somebody's going to come in and see my refrigerator. You don't worry about dying. It's just people seeing your refrigerator. So you come back from your vacation and you open the refrigerator door. And what do you see? Milk, of course, with things in it that are not supposed to be, yellow things, and it smells horrible and sour, and you, you find something in the back of the refrigerator, they're like dried ground, wrinkled balls, and you think, I think those are plums, I'm not sure. And then there's this mush that was vegetables at one point, and then cheese that's green and blue with white fuzz on it, just a mess everywhere. And then the shelves are just... They're, they're glass, but you can hardly see the glass, you know, because of all the stuff that's just on top of them. So your mom and your dad together uh, get into that refrigerator. They take all of that terrible food out. They clean it. They scrub it down with every kind of cleanser and in with baking soda. And it smells so fresh and clean and sparkling. And then they put nice fresh food, fresh milk and orange juice and eggs and vegetables and meat and ice cream instead of the freezer burn that was in the freezer, etc. So this beautiful picture of a clean, well-stocked refrigerator. That is basically a picture of what confession and repentance is. That's basically what happens as we open our lives and all of the rotten, terrible things that crop up in our lives. And there's a constant need, isn't there, of cleansing and refreshing because of our sin. And God cleanses our lives and he puts new things into our lives and restocks our lives and refurbishes our lives continually by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a wonderful thought. I mean, when you're finished with that and you look at that refrigerator, you know that the next morning when you open it up, you've had that experience, haven't you? It's just wonderful, isn't it? You know, so I want to put confession in that very positive light. This is a glorious privilege, one of the most wonderful things that we get to do as believers. And it's one of those things that really separates us from in one sense, every other philosophy and every other religion because of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Because we come to Him as children. We come to Him as those covered with the righteousness of Christ and always of those forgiven, but then experiencing more and more of that forgiveness in fellowship with God. It's one of the most glorious things that we enjoy as believers. We don't look with fear upon judgment. We don't look ultimately with fear, though there's hatred of our sin and disgust over our sin. 
There's no fear involved because there is no condemnation. But in the context of this wonderful relationship of father and son, forgiveness, standing in the righteousness of Christ, ever united and joined and associated with Christ, we're able to freely confess our sins. And that's why we can make real progress and change. Because we can look honestly at who we are. We don't have to be afraid of His rejection. We don't have to be afraid of impressing people, etc. We honestly can explore our lives and confess our sin. So, what does uh, confession consist of? Uh, Pretty basic. This is no rocket science here. But I just want to mention several things that are important. Number one is that we freely acknowledge our sin. And then the second is simply this, that we repent of our sin and experience God's forgiveness. So just two basic parts with uh, underlying uh, points as well. But just freely acknowledge our sin to God and then experience repentance and forgiveness concerning that sin. Now, if we freely acknowledge our sin, there must first be Uh, self-examination. Now, you'll notice, though, before I say that, what he says in verse 5 of Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin and did not cover my iniquity. So that's the option. Will I cover it both to God and to other people or will I freely acknowledge it? The same kind of thing in a very good text on confession, Proverbs 28, 13, which says, He who conceals his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain mercy. But you see the contrast. I either cover my sin to my own destruction or I confess and forsake and continually enjoy God's mercy. So hiding, concealing or exposing, acknowledging, admitting, uh, uncovering my sin to God. That's the basic idea. Well, first of all, self-examination is needed if I'm going to expose my sin. I have to find that sin or be aware of that sin. And so the scriptures call for examination. Listen to Lamentations 340. Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Now, the examination tool is the Word of God. And that's why we must constantly be exposing ourselves to its light. As Paul said, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God is living and active and it divides between the bone and marrow and the soul and spirit. It gets in the innermost part of your being and begins to discern and dissect and expose those things. In the very next verse, he says, everything is naked and laid bare before the God with whom we have to do. We see the context of everything is laid bare before the God before whom we have to do is the word of God that exposes us. So the word is that light that we use as we come into his word. As we said last week, we come to praise his name. And as part of that praise, we come to conform our ways to him. And so we open our refrigerator door, basically, and we say, Lord, shine in and show me who I am and what I am. So God's word heads up the search party for sin. 
And using the flashlight of his word, we're like a guy looking for a leak in the attic. Recently, our telephones stopped working a couple of weeks ago. And this lady showed up to fix it. I bet she was 65. She might have been 70. It was rather a shock when she showed up. But she was the, the telephone repair lady. And uh, she spent a long time before she found where the squirrels had chewed into our line up in the attic. Well, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the problems in our lives, but we're using the word of God. And we as we search, here's our prayer, a great prayer to have memorized from Psalm 139. This psalm that talks so much of how God knows us uh, in every part of our being. And it issues in this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now, this doesn't mean that you then just shut down, close your eyes and go "Mm," and let God search you. You know, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying, of course, in the light of your word, Lord, and as I seek to search my own heart out and examine myself, Lord, by your spirit, you search me. You search me by your word. And as I examine myself by that word, I was a tube inspector at Goodyear. And uh, that, my job, of course, was not to let one tube get out of that plant that had defects on it or defects, as they said there um, in Alabama. But um, our, that, our whole point, of course, as, as every company is to correct all of its flaws and its mess ups. And we're like inspectors. And I would put this uh, illustration or idea before you as to how important it is. Let's suppose you were about to go on your first jump out of the plane for a parachute and uh, with a parachute. And so the first thing, though, is there is this parachute that had been sitting away, packed uh, 10 years ago, and uh, they are not sure it's in good shape and they want you to inspect it for problems. How carefully are you going to look at that parachute? And then to think, if you not only want to look at the parachute, but you want to look at a little instruction manual. What are the things I look for in a bad parachute? What are the li- what lines do I inspect? How what what's it supposed to look like? And then you would like to have one of the expert jumpers to come by and look at it with you. You'd like some accountability. You need someone uh, to help you in this. That's the kind of idea. We really do want to find out the problems in our lives. We really want to be better husbands and better fathers and wives and mothers and workers in the workplace and members and and lovers of one another in every aspect of his character. It's an earnest desire to be everything that we can be in Christ Jesus. So, to freely acknowledge our sin, there must be self-examination. Again, Lamentations 3.40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. But obviously, this takes honesty and humility. Self-examination, but honesty and humility. We have to be done with excuses. Excuses end in true confession. Our tendency, of course, is to make an excuse that God has tempted us in some way, that he's thrown a stumbling block. Of course, we don't say that, but we say, oh, if my wife hadn't, if my children weren't, if I wasn't so tired, if I hadn't had a headache, etc. 
Now, did Jesus have a hard family? Did Jesus have headache? Well, Jesus had all of these things. Tremendous pressures, tremendous difficulties. He never sinned. He never sinned. It's not those things, ultimately, that make us sin. It comes out of our heart. We may blame circumstances or children justify hitting someone or yelling at someone or hating someone because they did it first. And on it goes. James tells us, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. But see, if you blame people and circumstances, you're really blaming God. You and I are just like Adam. The woman you gave me, I'll tell you how this happened. Look at her. You know. <laughs> no, Adam, you sinned against God, but he wouldn't own it, would he? And that's just that that's given to us. Not so we can sit there and say that Adam is it's given to us so we can understand that's who I am. That's what I do. That is me. I make excuses. I blame other people every time I I, every chance I get. And as we read in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no sin that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And with the sin, he's also given the way of escape that you may bear it. We like to think that the pressures are just so great, they overcame. No, in the end, I just gave in. I just gave in. I, I chose to sin. And so part of the honesty in confessing our sin is that we are sinners. You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I got angry. Doesn't everybody? I was clearly provoked. I was right and he was wrong. Yeah, I got angry. OK, it's another thing to say. I'm the kind of person who has an angry and at heart murderous attitude toward people at times. That's a different thing to say. This is who I am. We tend to think circumstances uh, are excuses for our sin or cause our sin. Circumstances just reveal our sin. They just show who we are. Hey, that's not really the way I am. No, it was exactly the way you were, Darwin. That was the way you were just then. That came out of your heart, Darwin. That's who you are. And it showed itself. And so we have to own ourselves honestly before God. We can say I was a little snappy at my wife. Yeah, I'm a little short to her every once in a while. Have I ever stopped to say, I've got a selfish, prideful heart toward my wife. What, what's wrong with me? Why do I treat her like that? And I've treated her like that for years. What's wrong with me? Why am I doing that? See, that's a different approach. Then, yeah, 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 it was. So we have to be honest, honest before God. And godly humility is required for such honesty. And, of course, most of us with pride will say, oh, I'm not perfect. I've done wrong things in my lives, but in my life. But to say with the tax gatherer, oh, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner, the sinner against my children, the sinner against my husband, the sinner against my wife, the sinner against my friend. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me. It's interesting that the first description that Jesus gives of the blessed man in Matthew 5 is that he's poor in spirit. What a contradiction. 
As he says, here is the blessedness of the kingdom of God. Here is the liberty and the joy of the kingdom of God. These blessings are raining down on the kingdom of God to the poor in spirit. Those who are broken over their sin. And that's not to mark, you know, just here and there, few of us. Oh, he was an alcoholic. Sure, he's pretty broken because his life girly got messed up. That's a Pharisee talking. That's a Pharisee talking. You and I personally should be so broken before God that we can say with Paul, the apostle, I'm the chief of sinners. And if we say anything different, we're just ignorant. Because you know your heart better than I do, and I know my heart better than you. So I'll argue with you. You say you're the chief sinner. Oh, no. No way. Because you know something of your own heart. Interesting. In Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian and Hopeful began to explain to ignorance, his name was Ignorance, the teaching of the Word of God on the wickedness of the heart of man, Ignorance exclaimed, I will never believe my heart is thus bad. That's just rampant in the church of Jesus Christ. That attitude. Ignorant. Ignorant. And that's why Christianity is is an offense to so many. Because we're so full of pharisaical attitudes. In ignorance, we deny the reality and extent of our sin. And of course, this isn't that we're groveling. It's the blessedness of those who recognize their sin and and are able to freely open before God about their sin and deal with their sin. Theirs is the kingdom of God. It says in the the, uh, Beatitudes, they and they alone are comforted. They are the ones who are comforted by God himself. So that godly confession ends in this joy and exhilaration of forgiveness. And I think one of the reasons that we experience so little of that exhilaration and then so little of the sacrificial love that flows from it is that we still are guarding and hiding and concealing our sin. Trying to make ourselves out to be something way better than we are. It is the broken that are the joyful. And it is the broken that end up being Powerful servants of God. What, a, what an interesting contrast. What an interesting army. A mighty army. A zealous, energetic army that are broken before God. Now, how does it look in your own family? Would your child, children or, or wife say, Well, I've never heard him say I'm sorry. I've never heard him say, will you forgive me? Or your husband and children would say that of you, dear wife, mother. Mm, no, she's not the type that says, I'm sorry. She, she really can't say that. And I'm not saying that to, I'm not saying that to drive you underground. I'm saying that to say it shows that there's a brokenness and a fear uh, and a, and a refusal to trust in the mercy of God at that point, you see. Some, some guarding, some propping up like a Hollywood set, you know, of 
this is who I am and I will not let anything interfere with this for fear of what might happen. Usually it's because that we cannot really believe many times that God would forgive me for exactly who I am. Or just the pride of wanting to hold on to some sense of my own righteousness over against other people rather than just saying, this is who I am. And for your children, it's interesting because, number one, they know a lot of times when you've sinned. And for you not to say anything to them surely doesn't help. And your confession not only encourages them, and it encourages a husband or wife that, you know, he or she will acknowledge things that are going on. I, I, it scares to death a, a wife to think that you mention something to him and he won't even admit it. You know there's no hope he's going to change, probably. But for children, this gives them a, a great sense of justice and fairness when you've done something wrong and you freely open up and tell them that. It also teaches them that they can confess their sins. That they can confess their sins to God. It teaches them about the gospel as we are these kinds of people before our children. And, you know, you and I see just the tip of the iceberg, the proverbial iceberg. And God sees this huge 80-90% of our sin that we never, up to now, even haven't seen. We don't see it in all of its color. And yet, knowing our sin in full... He gave the Lord Jesus to die for us. And knowing our sin in full, He constantly invites us to come to Him for forgiveness. And even though, even when we confess our sin, we don't fully understand the gravity of our sin, in mercy He forgives us. He's a tender, patient, loving Father. And that's the atmosphere in which we are to live. And no matter how serious our sin is, there was a fellow we knew in the singles department, I won't describe how he got his feet crushed, but his feet were crushed uh, beyond repair, it looked like, that he would never be able to walk again. And uh, the, the expert doctor, one of the best in the world, lived in Dallas and was able to repair his feet. And that's a real glory to this doctor. Think how different was that would be than to come out of the doctor's office and say, Hey, Mom, he put a Band-Aid on my foot. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> You see, you may argue and say, but, but my sin, it, it's so serious. Imagine there's a miracle cure for some disease and you say, yeah, but I'm really sick. No, this is the cure. But you don't realize how sick I'm going to die. I know this is the cure for you. The argument of how sinful you are, that's no argument to deny the grace that is offered sinners, particularly by Jesus Christ. Well... Until we admit our sin, you see, we, we're not ready to understand and recognize God's mercy and grace. And we saw some in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, but um, a broken and contrite heart, what a pleasant smelling sacrifice to God. He loves to smell that wonderful aroma in the hearts of His people, this broken recognition of who we are in our sinfulness. Interesting, isn't it? Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the broken hearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Or you're familiar perhaps with Isaiah 57, 15. I dwell in a high and holy place and with those who are broken and contrite of heart. 
You think, where would the Lord be in the earth? You know, where, where does he say, here's my, the, the place I've especially manifest myself, make myself known, with the brokenhearted. See how foolish then for us. It says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's not hide from him. Let's not make excuses. Let's examine ourselves and let us be honest. And part of this honesty is that we, in the terms of Psalm 51, if you turn over to Psalm 51, we sang this in the second section of our music. Part of our honesty is to realize that we've sinned against God. We examine ourselves. We are honest and open. And as part of that confession of admitting, we admit that we've sinned against God. Verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words. And you think, well, what about Uriah? You slept with his wife while he was away in battle fighting for your kingdom, David. And then to hide it all, you call Uriah back from the war so that he'll sleep with his wife and that'll hide the whole thing that she's pregnant. But he wouldn't go into his wife because he's honoring his guys on the battlefield and he sleeps on the porch all night. No, you got a real problem. So then... Since that failed, you put him on the front of the battle line and you told one of the other officers, hey, draw near to the wall. Something David knew you'd never do. And they purposely drew near to the wall and backed off and he got killed. You might think, I I think you sinned against Uriah a little bit. Why would he say this? Well, I'm sure David would acknowledge all of that in this confession But he would say, no matter what my evil was against Uriah, my evil against God was far greater. He's the one that commanded me never to commit adultery. He's the one that commanded me to do no harm to another person. He's the one who sustains my life and gave me this kingdom. I did spit in the face of Uriah, but I spat in the face of God. I sinned against God himself. And this causes us to have that kind of mentality all the time. Like Joseph did in Genesis 39. And there, when Potiphar's wife offered to sleep with Joseph, he didn't say, man, the servants might find out. Are you crazy? You might, you might have a baby. No, I can't do it. I could be thrown into prison or executed. No way, woman. <laughs> a lot of reasons not to. And he said, how could I do this thing and sin against God? How could I? The person in his, on the landscape, the person in his view, and he lived in his presence, and he, these men confessed as though the whole of life was simply this God. Now that doesn't mean that you wouldn't then in turn confess your sin to other people. Our honest confession before God issues many times in an honest confession when it's needed with one another as well. So we're not saying that. We own our responsibility. We seek restitution when it's called for. We seek to 
right things that are done wrong to other people. God says in Matthew 5, if you're there sacrificing and you realize something that your brother has against you, leave it. That's how important it is. So you might say, oh, I'm just confessing to God. I don't need to deal with anybody else. No. But we're just saying here that we need to own, Lord, it is you that I hated in this. It is you that I despise. It is your will and your law that I turned against. Oh, Lord, I confess that sin to you. It's as though we've taken our life and we've said to God, hands off, back off. I'll do whatever I want to with my life. I'll think what I want to. I'll say what I want to. I'll look at what I want to. I'll go and do what I want to. It's sin, as it's described in 1 John, sin is lawlessness. Now, that's not mean breaking the law. It means rebellion, the clenched fist in God's face. So it helps us to understand and acknowledge our sin when we realize that It is done against this good and gracious God. Against this God who gives me life. Against this God who owns me. Against this God who is my only redeemer. Against this God who is almighty and powerful. How could I act as though he's not powerful? As though he's just this little pipsqueak God and it doesn't matter. I'll do whatever I want to. We should be horrified that we treat God like that. When is the last time you trembled in God's presence because of your sin? And I'm not saying that it's because you did some overtly horrible, recognized bad sin, but just tremble at the general sinfulness at times of your life. The way you and I can neglect His Word, the way you and I can go for weeks And hardly say a word of prayer. And when we do, it's just perfunctory. It's emotionless. It's dead. Where's that coming from? What kind of heart does that reveal? These are the kind of heart dealings that we need to have before God. And this will change the way we live. We will will not look at something not because there's somebody else in the room, but because we live in the presence of God. You see, Internet, it won't matter if somebody's watching or not watching when we're on the Internet. We're in the presence of God. And we're living before His eye, like Joseph. And when you're dealing with your children, and you know, if, if you find yourself... Somebody knocked on the door and you suddenly have to change the whole tone of voice that you were using with your children. You probably need to go to your children and ask their forgiveness for that tone of voice. If you'd be horrified that somebody would have heard you say words like that with that kind of attitude to your children, maybe you need to go to them right after that and say, Oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry that I said that to you in that voice. Because immediately we realize, Oh, somebody might hear me. We weren't concerned before God, but we're concerned because another human being might hear us. Do you gossip and slander before the presence of God with no concern, but you wouldn't dare do so in front of the one that you're slandering or even a friend or relative of that one? Are you concerned to obey 
God. Children, are you obeying your parents whether they see you or not? Because you want to obey God. You want to please Him. You want to give your life up to this gracious God. Well, obviously, this kind of honesty before God, this kind of self-examination and this kind of recognition that it is God alone that I have to deal with, this can transform your life. Imagine, brothers and sisters, day after day, having a consistent time by God's Word, exposing you and seeking for the Lord to show you the things in your life. And then, we, we won't get to this till next week, but to take specific steps to change. How are you going to change now? What kind of accountability is there needed? What, what about today? What could I do today? How do I need to go to this person and, and work with her, him, to help me change? What do I need to do? You see, true confession is we're going to see issues in real change in our life. What a blessed, happy thing this can be for the people of God. But the first step for any of you is that you come to Jesus Christ to begin with. He's the one who's died for sinners. He's the one who's died in the place so that sinners might not be condemned, so that they have they can come to God and confess their sin and not be judged before it. Imagine a criminal coming into the courtroom in a murder case and saying, whoa, 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 this guy didn't do it. I'm the one that did it. Well, what's going to happen to him? Well, it may be the death penalty. And you'd think with God it would be the death penalty. We come and confess openly how much we've hated Him. But wonder of wonders, there is one who stands there who has borne the weight of condemnation and judgment and He is offered to us by the Father for full free forgiveness. Brian Habig, who uh, has been the campus minister at Mississippi State and Vanderbilt now is planting a church in Greenville, Alabama, He tells of uh, this time when he was a little child, which he had a, a, a book out at the library. And he said, I finally, it was months and months and months, and I finally, my parents were going to make me take the book back to the library. And he said, I just trembled. I was a little kid, you know, and I just knew they would look at me and say, Where? What? I can't believe you had this baby. He said, it just scared me to death. And he said, so, and Brian's kind of a slight guy himself, so he walks up, you know, and he says, I was just there and just, you know, his head was practically bowed down. He said he held the book out. And they said, it's free book day. All books can be turned in without charge today. He said, I went on free book turn-in day. It was amazing. There was no charge. There was there were only smiles. Only embrace me. Thanks for bringing the book back. Everything that I deserved, I got none of it. I was forgiven as though it had never happened. As though I'd never even had the book out. And that's what he offers every one of us. That's the heart of confession that we enjoy day after day by his grace. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name that through Jesus Christ we no longer have to play games. We no longer have to make excuses. 
We no longer have to run and hide even as Adam and Eve did. We don't have to blame as Adam did. Lord, we can live in Your presence as Joseph and David ultimately. We can, Lord, open our lives up to You and to one another. And we can, in the words of Psalm 32, know the blessedness of sins covered and to live a life without deceit. Lord, thank You that You save us. We are not capable of confession. We are not capable of dishonesty. We admit, Lord, we will hide from now to the day we die. We cannot grow in any of these areas apart from Your powerful Spirit. Thank You that this is a part of Your salvation, that You will make us these kinds of people. Oh, Lord, we praise You for Your salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen.